0: can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available. Intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com.
1: I really truly believe in the benefit of small interactions with members of your community. Sometimes grand adventures start
0: right in your own community, in your own backyard, and that certainly was the case with our guest Ellen Joven, who decided to put a table out on the street in New York City, where she lives, and talk to people about grammar. Grammar? What? Well, this turned into a pretty epic journey. She's now written a book, has traveled all over the USA with this grammar table, and it never ceases to amaze me. How people are able to combine their love of travel with another passion. Now, not everybody's passionate about grammar, but if anybody can get you excited about it, it's Ellen. We actually don't talk a ton about grammar in this interview. I do tell a bad grammar joke, though. We get some advice on what to do when you're visiting New York City. And Ellen gives great advice because this is my favorite thing to do as well. She talks about the origin story of the grammar table. And Some of the surprising destinations she visited on her U.S. road trip, we get into language learning, does your personality change, does time perception change when you learn another language, and just loads more. You're going to love it. Plus, I've got some encouraging travel news. This is a new segment I'm putting together. I'll share a little tidbit, something that gets me excited about the future of travel. And I want to give a shout out to somebody in this community whose path demonstrates why persistence in travel in pursuing your travel dreams i should say pays off all that happening and much more right now so buckle up and let's take off welcome to the zero to travel podcast my friends you're listening to the zero to travel podcast where we explore exciting travel-based work lifestyle and business opportunities helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams Now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I did some traveling myself this past weekend. Met up with a buddy out in western Norway. I had something happen to me that I've never experienced before. And I'll share that later in the show. But first, I want to remind you to get in touch. You can always email me. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. And I leave a voicemail box link. In every one of the show notes, you can just click a link and leave a 90-second or less voicemail. Would absolutely love to hear from you. I gotta give a shout out really quickly to Matt, a listener of this show, said after years of listening to your podcast, taking in all of the stories and finding motivation, I finally built up the courage to quit my job and take an adult gap year back in 2020. I spent all of 2019 planning and saving, had a one-way ticket to Brazil, booked for May where I plan to celebrate my 40th birthday, somewhere on the road living my dream. Unfortunately, we all know what happened in 2020. Lucky for me, I hadn't quit my job yet, but I felt like this dream was dead. Listening to your podcast on my morning walks during the pandemic helped me enjoy a sense of travel, even went back and listened to old episodes that had resonated with me. After two years of postponement, I've again booked a one way ticket to Panama for this October. I'm going to sail around the Darien Gap to Colombia and spend as long as I need exploring South America and beyond hasn't been easy probably the hardest and scariest thing I've ever decided to do but I feel more confident in my decision after listening to the stories of all of the amazing guests so uh, I just wanted to give Matt a shout out here and tell him good luck congratulations and I do think this is a reminder that the persistence that he showed in pursuing those travel dreams really does pay off if you stick with it. i mean, even with a uh, this pandemic and everything that happens you know, coming back and still kind of following through with the plan. So I thought that was a good reminder for all of us to uh, just hold on to the things we're working towards. Sometimes they take longer than expected, but let's all hang in there together. If you got a story you want to share again, please get in touch. Would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, let's slip and slide into this wonderful interview segment with my friend Ellen Joven. You're going to hear her story and how she was able to take this passion of hers, an unusual passion, I would say. I haven't met too many people that are passionate about grammar, uh, but able to take that and turn it into a big travel adventure and even a book, something related to her career. And also, most importantly, scratching that itch to connect with other humans that I think we all feel now more than ever, especially Given recent times, it's just so key to make those connections. And we'll talk about that and much more in this interview. So please enjoy. Stick around on the back end. Testing out a new little segment here. I'll just share some encouraging travel news. Just a small little tidbit, something that gets me excited about the future of travel, and a little bit about my trip to Western Norway if you're interested in hearing something that never happened to me before. That was totally odd, but it makes sense. (laughs) You can stick around for that. And of course, I'll leave you with a quote. So I will see you on the other side, my friend. Please enjoy the interview. This is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Thank you for riding with MTA New York City Transit. It's great to see you. I can't remember the last time you were on. I mean, I started listening to the show, but I forgot to look at the date, but it's been some years.
1: Four or five? Does that Four a, or five Is years? 2017 possible? I think 2017 seems like the most likely. It was a long time ago.
0: It seems possible. Uh, I'm terrible with years. I don't know about you. I All can't right. keep track of it. Well, I've also do do? actually
1: noticed um, that nobody knows what year it is now. Um, so that people I met three years ago think I met them like seven years ago. Someone was like, oh, I met you in Oregon with the grammar table in 2016. was <laughs> like, no, it was 2019. That's how messed up people's, <laughs> the last two years were like five years. Well,
0: yeah, the perception of time. Language might have something to do with the perception of time as well. I, that's something I want to talk to you A bit about today. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I should give you a little bit of an intro here. Today's guest traveled nearly 30,000 miles around the United States with her grammar table, a pop up traveling grammar advice stand that has been profiled on CBS National News and the New York Times and on NPR. And she has a new book out about the experience called Rebel with a Clause Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. Yes, you heard that right. We're talking a bit about grammar today. But don't worry, I promise this will be the most fun you've ever had with this topic. Ellen Joven, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Welcome
1: back. Thank you so much. That was a lovely intro.
0: (laughs) How dare you make grammar fun again, Ellen Joven? How dare you?
1: (laughs) I'm so sorry. I won't do it again.
0: Well, I mean, we're going to talk about more than grammar. Of course, there's the travel aspect of this and and language and all of that good stuff. And if you're curious and you want to hear my last podcast with Ellen, she talks about her experience as a polyglot, which I know is the term you don't always love and embrace, at least at that time. But yeah, we're going to get into all that stuff. I wanted to start with a, a quick grammar joke for you. The past, the present, and the future walked into a bar. It was tense.
1: Oh my gosh. I've heard them all, Jason.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I should have turned that's it over not to the, you.
1: That's not the worst one, though.
0: <laughs> I had to Google that one.
1: How's life in New York City? Well, it's been super hot. So this is the first... I'm speaking to you on a much cooler day, and I think I conjugate better when it's like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the weather impacts your conjugation. Skills. It does. I
1: don't, the grammar falls apart uh, when it exceeds 85 degrees. And fortunately, today the high is 85. That is in Fahrenheit, in case anyone's worried. <laughs> I'm not going to, we won't be bursting into flames here. No, New York is great, though. I mean, it's been, it's pretty lively. People are out on the streets ready to talk about grammar. So it's been great for me.
0: I mean, have people been m- moving out a lot since the pandemic? It seems like there's been a wave of people leaving New York city and a lot of conversations around that. I don't know. Has the city changed much since,
1: um, the, uh, well for me where I live, it's, it's not very much different. It's a little different. I think the net flow of people though, is I honestly don't know what the numbers are now. Some people left to escape in the early days back in the spring of 2020. But, um, I have new neighbors moving in all the time here and my, My building is huge and I see people flooding in and like I have a neighbor who just who moved out when the pandemic hit. They're back. So it feels quite busy. It looks pretty normal in many places. Don't they
0: say, isn't there some kind of saying that is like you should leave New York City before you get too hard?
1: Well, I've missed that. No, they say I I heard all kinds of things. I remember when I I moved here in nineteen ninety and uh i remember um an older man at the time old probably younger than i am now but an older man telling me condescendingly that i would i would have enough and and leave so um that never happened though <laughs> that was that was a long time ago
0: do you hear that random person on the street you showed them <laughs> <laughs> that's right one of my biggest travel impressions although it wasn't far from where i grew up outside of philadelphia was going to new york city at nine or 10 years old with my parents, or maybe I was eight. I don't remember exactly, but it made such a huge impression. It was the first time where I realized, holy crap, there's a lot of different people and different things out there in the world because it's there's so much energy in New York. What is your relationship with the city now compared to when you moved there?
1: I moved here without a job or an apartment. So I came here purely for the city. And uh, I, I can, I just love so many things about this place. I love that. I mean, for example, if I were out in Central Park right now, instead of Uh, talking to you. And of course, I'm very happy to be talking to you. I didn't mean it to sound like that. (laughs) Um, But I would be hearing a a ton of languages. There'd be people from all over the world. Um, And uh, there's just such an intense, it's such an intense um, knot of talent. There's so many people here doing so many Um, unexpected things are doing, you know, very creative. A lot of people come here from different parts of the United States. They gravitate towards it the same way I did because they just want to be here. And so, um, that's often the basis for what makes me like a place less to do with the actual geography and more to do with the human beings that congregate there.
0: Yeah. The person visiting New York City. We'll move on from New York in a minute, but it's such a a popular place to visit from people all over the world. So I was just curious, what would you tell somebody to do if they were just showing up and they're like, hey, you've
1: got like a full day in New York City? Now, see, that's the kind of question. It's sort of like, what is your favorite book? The flavor that appeals to people is is so different. So, I, oh, my gosh, that's such a hard question because there are all these, you know, kind of major tourist landmarks that people want to see when they come here. Like right, let's say you're skipping or,
0: those. You're like, you know, we're not going to sk- do the main things. We're going to we want to do something different today.
1: Um, they could come visit the grammar table.
0: We're gonna talk about the grammar table.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just was th- I just was uh, skipping ahead to something unusual. Um, so <laughs> well, I love I love I love walking through some of the places that people don't necessarily well, they go to the High Line. I love the High Line Park, which is this on these old tracks. I just love that place so much. And I think if you just go the whole length of it, you see so much of the city from different unexpected angles, that's one of the huge gifts that came about after I moved to New York, not before. And I I just love that to pieces. I actually think um, walking from the south of Manhattan to at least Central Park or vice versa, which is miles, it's like six, I don't know, five, six miles. I've done that before. And I think that's a great way to see the city because you pass all these things and you you get a real sense of, as opposed to riding the subway, you know, because then you don't see the transitions from neighborhoods. So it's, um, I think it's a very exciting way to see the city. And some people do it, but a lot of people do the, you know, like the hop on, hop hop off bus. Forget that. Get your walking shoes, walk. It's one of my favorite things to
0: do, I'd say. Well, definitely my favorite thing to do in New York is just get out and, walk and kind of get lost and walk for hours around new york it never fails to disappoint we mentioned the people of uh, new york bringing some uh your words unexpected things and you know you were one of those people coming out of your house one day with this grammar table and just saying i'm gonna set this thing up and you tell us the story the origin story of the grammar table because that always intrigues me when somebody uh, has an idea and then they, they put themselves out there in a certain way, right? Like you're, you're setting up a table on the street. You're like inviting people to come chat with you. I just want to hear f- how that evolved for you and how it came to be an actual reality. You're like buying a table and taking
1: it outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because the early days are a little bit of a blur in some ways. I, just, I know that um, it was four years ago, uh, plus one month that I thought of it and I don't exactly remember why I thought of it except that I know overall the context was that I was online way too much and part of the reason I was online has to do with what I talked about you with you the last time this whole polyglot community all these people who are really into languages they're all over the world and so I was really networked into these different language groups online, talking to people, um, enjoying all kinds of things from social media and just online resources. And I seriously was on the computer so much and it just made me cranky. It reminded me of what it was like when I was a kid um, in Southern California on Saturday mornings, lying on the floor watching cartoons for three hours and you get really weird in the head, you know, just, it's not, you you feel like you really want to watch those cartoons, but then it makes you weird. So I really wanted to talk about these language things, but then you'd be typing, 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 and not getting enough exercise, not being outside and since you know, as we were just discussing, I moved here because I want I loved the city itself so much and the people in it. Um, I think there was a kind of a, a gradual seeping into my brain of discontent with that way of life, um the computer way of life and so. I was also seeing this guy in front of a grocery store near, near where I live. He started selling books in translation. That was of interest to me because so few books in tran- are in translation in the U S it's 3% or something like that of the works published here are books in translation, I think compared to like 50 or whatever in some other countries. So we don't have enough of those cool inputs um, from, you know, ideas from other lands. And I thought that was the most amazing thing. And he was, he's, You know, I I wouldn't say that I'm an extrovert exactly, but I am kind of, I like talking to people. So I don't know where that, what that means exactly. But um, just seeing someone on the street, like he was very dignified and he had these books (laughs) and um, I think it might have like, it might have put a little seed in my head. You know, it's funny how these little things happen. And I think it was sort of like, oh wait, there's a guy standing on the sidewalk in front of the grocery store selling works in translation. Maybe, maybe I could sit on the street and sell, no, not sell because I don't charge for it. But you know, it just, I think it, I think it made me think of it a little bit more. It's the barrier for me between having a grammar table and not having a grammar table is definitely not the grammar component or the table component or anything else. It's more, can I, is that a, is that a thing that, that some, that I would do because a lot of people on the sidewalk are trying to con you out of your money. You know, they're selling, <laughs> they're selling fake merchandise, or they're trying to get you to gamble on something that you're sure to lose. So there's there's a sort of not very there, there's a, a kind of unsavory aspect of it. Life on you know life at the table on the street. So so I think that just like getting over that little hurdle in my head, and then seriously, once that was in my head. All I all I need to do is get the table and the sign and wait for it to be cooler because I really don't really don't like the heat. <laughs> <laughs> and so in September of 20 of September of 2018, I just walked outside the building and set it up, put it down. And how often were you doing it? A lot. I was doing it a lot. There was a lot of positive reinforcement because uh, the subway stopped right outside my building. That's where I would go. And I would set up there during rush hour Um, In the evening, not the morning. I tried morning one day, and it's just not as good. People don't really feel as inclined to stop to talk about grammar in the morning. Plus, (laughs) like, "Ah, coffee.
0: Ah." You, you,
1: you know, I'm not a morning person, (laughs) so it's not like not the most obvious thing for me. But I, um, but I had so much fun with it immediately that it was an incentive. Um, Just as you know, just as I, I studied languages because it was fun. I sat out at the grammar table because it was fun. It, It feels like wait, what? People will talk to me and we can nerd out about this stuff? This is like my dream life. It was so much more fun than being online. So I I was doing it probably, I don't know, three, four days a week for some time at the beginning there.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you were just doing it, like you said, it was pro bono. You weren't charging. You were just doing it for the experience of getting out there, talking to people, talking about something you're passionate about. Also sounds like a big motivator was just Doing something in person, right? Putting yourself yeah. in the city that you live, and I mean, this is the blessing and the curse of the internet, right? As we all know, it's uh, it can connect you to so many people. Like if you're if you got the specific interest and in language, and you want to do all all this sort of make all these connections and get some questions answered and some real obscure questions that you might not be able to get answered any other way, uh, you can connect with these communities online. But then yeah, you're right in the heart of New York City. So there's this whole human... It's a tough balance. But I love that you kind of shifted that just by creating this project. And I'm wondering at what point you decided to take the grammar table on the road because that's some next level stuff there, Ellen, right? You're just like, (laughs) hey, I'm just going to go out and do this thing. You know, that's already a bit of a leap. Like you said, there's already this... uh, I think you said unsavory elements associated with people with tables trying to con you out of money or whatever. So you got past that, and, and now you're out doing it. And now you're like, well, wait a minute. Let me let me travel with this thing.
1: Why? I already am kind of a road trip person. I've uh, my husband and I have gone across the country for fun more than once, even before you know years and years before the table. And I've always been interested in visiting new parts of well, new parts of anywhere, but in the United States, um, I'm not, a am not a, oh, the coast is the only place to be kind of person. I've always thought all the places in between were interesting. Um, and one thing, by the way, that I didn't mention before is that the table happened against a backdrop of what I perceived to be, (laughs) what, what actually was, um, a lot of polarization in the United States. So I I felt philosophically that so much of what was happening was coming out of us being separate from each other and not talking and not um, rehumanizing the people that we had our interactions with. You know, and by that I mean just uh, you know the the voice on on Twitter does not feel the same as the person standing in front of you. We're kinder in person, generally. The overwhelming majority of us we. Um, we, it's It's harder to get angry because you can see all the nuance of what the person is saying, and it just doesn't escalate the same the same way so um it felt important to me from a philosophical point of view what makes a society work is that you talk and then the transition to being um that was a very that sentence was undeveloped, but talking is talking and we are we are we are creatures who are meant to have physical and visual contact with, with one another. Um, and it, 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 it is a source of, of joy and happiness. I mean, for some, for most of us, I think there there's some people who are like pandemic, let me get away from people. Yay. <laughs> but most people were not really like that. Even if they thought they were like that, they were totally like that. Um, but then the on the road thing happened. So probably by the end of the year, I was, I, I, I think maybe within a couple of months, I was already thinking about it. I noticed you know that that it was it was working here, and I wanted to get out on the road, so why not do the two together? And I ended up writing a book proposal that fused the ideas. I thought, okay, I'll pick multiple states and go running around the country um and I pitched that, and i I got a book deal i I probably wouldn't I wouldn't have been able just to pick up and go all over the place without having some sort of professional thing attached to it. I mean, my life is, he, I feel like my life is hedonistic, but it's not that hedonistic where I can just, Oh, (laughs) I'll travel for just cause I feel like it. Cause
0: you got to pay your bills.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I am, I actually am a fairly practical person in that way. So, um, so then I, I ended up with a book deal and began traveling by the spring of, uh, 2019 and my husband went with me he he so that was part of it like I wouldn't have just gone out by myself and set up in random cities in pedestrian heavy places by myself that just isn't really tenable um, for a variety of reasons logistical you know things are heavy safety so my husband went with me he filmed the whole thing and so it became a kind of multimedia experience. It is an amazing way to know a community like so much faster, <laughs> so much faster than actually than going and figuring out, okay, today I'm going to go here and here and here because immediately you're talking to people who live there about things that are close to our um, our human essence. Um, and so I met, I, you know, the people who would stop, I would never have talked to otherwise. It was amazing. Right.
0: Yes. I'd like the book deal idea because you, you had this thing and, and you, for lack of a better term, let's say you vetted it, but it wasn't, there was a lot more emotion around that,
1: right? You were doing it at home. You, you
0: enjoyed it. People were enjoying it.
1: There was a lot of emotion around, around this. I mean, profound emotion. For me, this is one of the happiest things I've ever done in my entire life. You know, the people, the people that, the people I love are the most important thing in my life. But from a professional, you know, just joy point of view, this is the most fun I've ever had. And it's just extraordinary. I can't, I just can't even describe how that there's so much humor. People will come up to you and crack random like grammar jokes. (laughs) And, and they'll start giggling. I mean, it's just so, so silly. And then you'll, we'll talk about things that, so here's, here's the thing. People are often really, people think grammar and, Oh, that's a bunch of rules. That's, you know, that's people telling you what to do. It's not that that is, that's a very narrow view of what grammar is. It's the, you know, it has to do with the whole anatomy of a, of a language, how we use it. There are different dialects. There are different levels of language. There are influences from other languages. And there's just so much depth to it. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by U.S.
0: Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday. For your favorite streaming services, go to usbank.com/slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn twenty thousand bonus points worth two hundred dollars if you spend one thousand dollars in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big. destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent four x four is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to six thousand pounds And enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com.
1: Now, back to the show. I have a question in my inbox right now from someone who's mad that people say off of, you know, like get up, like get up off of the sofa. And so I say that. I, you know, sorry if that bothers anyone, but I say that all the time. I think there's often a kind of narrow view of, happens prepositionally in our sentences. They're all over the place. Prepositions are crazy. You look at other languages, they're crazy in other languages too. And so um, I don't know. It's just like a little mini adventure. You never know what's going to happen. And it's a way also to diffuse on a smaller level. We're not talking about the most dramatic and and, uh, political and social issues of our time. We're talking about verb conjugation or something like that. So people could be upset that someone says, I should have went. And I can diffuse that. And we can talk about what happens there and then discuss other things. So there's, there, are, most, most of my interactions aren't hostile. <laughs> it's not people coming up wanting to scream about other people. That's actually a relatively small percentage. But when that does happen, it's satisfying in a way because I feel like there's some understanding that comes out of that small exchange. Yeah.
0: You mentioned this being so fulfilling to you. And I just want to get a little deeper into that. Is it I understand the topic and you're passionate about it. And and that was sort of the point of entry for an engagement with another human. But was it really the, that making those connections with so many different people, was that the the part that was so fulfilling for you? Or was it a combination? I mean, what was it? Was it just the combination of combining your passions and and the connections? And why, why was this such a fulfilling
1: thing for you in your life? For me, there's no such thing as small talk the pe- you know when people complain about small talk i'm my i know what they mean but my brain is sort of like what cuz uh you know i ride a, i ride an elevator to get to my apartment building and i love talking to people on the elevator i mean you have to be sensitive to whether people want to be bothered or not but there's so much nuance in i could be talking about a comma you know like the oxford comma the comma before an and in a list and There's there are explosions off of the details of that discussion into um, what you know what is this person like what what do we I mean I don't actually think all of this I'm just sort of analyzing the different layers but what's this person like what do we have in common what do you know what does the person's fixation with the Oxford comma mean about you know what they how they arrange their socks in a drawer you know I mean not that I think there's any scientific conclusion one can draw about that but um, the, it resonates. It's, there's a richness to it. And the benefit for I, I really truly believe in the benefit of small interactions with members of your community. I just, you know, once again, I come back to, um, the rancor that is apparent in public life in the United States right now. I went all over the place to, um, Parts of the country that are very different from New York. I mean, every place is different from New York and vice versa, but really different, like really, really different. And we could talk about anything without it exploding into something. And I think that connection with another human being about like, I don't know, it could be the spelling of a word. It could be the spelling, the word they missed in a spelling bee, which people, by the way, have have emotional trauma about. I have discussed the missed word on spelling bees with people in multiple States on multiple street corners. They feel it 30 years later. It's a big deal. And, uh, even, even though we may disagree on really fundamental things, we still have to figure out how we live in the world together, how we interact, how we can at least keep the parts of our lives that we have in common functional and value them and remember that behind whatever ideas the other person may have, there is someone who actually still has something in a lot in common with us. What were some of the other
0: parts of the journey that surprised you? Maybe you had a certain expectation going in and then things came out of nowhere. Could have been destinations that you saw or just
1: overall takeaways. The range of people who wanted to talk about grammar was surprising. I think this. I think this kind of table is a very powerful anti-stereotype machine. I mean, I I like to think that I understand that you can't tell a book by its cover, um, and that there's just all kinds of variety out there. But I would get people of, you know who really, I mean, for example, who seemed troubled, who were down and out on their luck. I was often in downtown areas. You know, there might be people who were living on the street or close to living on the street who had substance abuse problems. And I've had conversations with some people who were troubled that were really deep about, you know, and I say deep about, they were deep about language, but, you know, like things like etymologies of words that I hadn't even thought about they were curious about through whatever was going on with them. And uh, I mean, it stirred my my heart to see that and reminded me that, you know, whatever you see on the outside, you don't know what's on the inside. So it just constantly enhances the the that thing that I try to remember as part of my own life philosophy. Or, you know, it's just surprising intellectuals like they come... <laughs> It, my, Americans often dress like slobs, so you really can't conclude anything about what, you know, what they're like. But people would just look like complete slobs and then they open their mouths and it'd be like, and I'm one of them too. Don't look at me when I go to get coffee in the morning. Don't look at me. Don't talk. You know, wait, till I, wait till I'm presentable. Um, but people would, would open their mouths and the most surprising things would come out of them. And so that was, that was a very beautiful component of it to me. And, and, you know, if that works in my brain, that will, that kind of interaction works in other people's brain. They also, and people would meet each other. So I would meet my neighbor, my, you know, that I'd never seen this person before. They came up to the table um, and then someone else would come up Then they'd talk to each other. And I remember one day I looked over after a, I, I don't know what we were talking about, ellipses or something like that. And an hour later, the two people who had been talking to me were still talking to each other in this public park outside the subway station that is set up for that, but that often doesn't get used for it because people are sitting at home online arguing with someone on Twitter. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that. Having a mission like this—I mean, this—this this is obviously very unique. So this is a bit of a broad question, but uh, just traveling with a mission, uh, your, in your case, the grammar table. How does that enhance or detract from your travel experience as a traveler?
1: Means I have a lot more to carry.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, like just straight up logistically, it's a pain in the butt having to carry the stuff around, right?
1: That is the first <laughs> thing that pops into my mind because it requires consideration, and I, I really one thing I, I definitely like to be very spontaneous and free willing. So there's the I, I get really stressed out by planning basics, basic logistics kinds <laughs> of things. Um, but let's see. Uh, I mean, I do, it's made me aware of spaces, of public spaces and urban design more. I already, you know, I picked in New York to live in, in part because I love a pedestrian city. I love public transportation. I grew up in LA, which is a place that as, when I was there, no one took, pu- I mean, now they do more, but it's so sprawling and no one took public transportation. It was like, of course you have to have a car, but that's another thing that atomizes society. You're all, dr- you're sitting on the freeway. See, I still say freeway, even after being in New York, you sit on the freeway and there are all these other people sitting in their cars and we're not talking to, to one another. And it's very, um, It's very separating. So I loved the togetherness of New York. I mean, in a way, I guess you could say the origin of the grammar table was just my move here in 1990 to be around people more. The first thing I ever wrote for publication was about how much I love the subway. You know, so it was about subway experiences, being on a train with people from all different backgrounds. That is not something that ever happened in L.A. travel, you know, it was just not like that. When I traveled, I would often pick I would sometimes pick the city further ahead, but I would often where we were gonna go next. But I would often just be a, a few days out or a day out, depend I might change. You know, if it was raining, I couldn't go to the city I was planning to go to. So i go I'd reroute and we'd go to a different one. That happened in Ohio, where I was planning to go to Cleveland, I believe. And then it was raining all over the state, except in Toledo, which is on the west side of the state. And so we went to Toledo instead, and we ended up there. And then you get to a place, you don't know it, and you have to negotiate a spot where you will have a combination of people walking and kind of just general, a a pleasant enough environment that it's not dangerous or it's not you know just too icky or whatever, because I've sat next to a lot of trash cans. And I, you know, one thing that I realized also is that so many cities and, and towns in the U.S. really don't have, more cities um, are, d- are designed or un- are undesigned and don't have a good urban center for people to congregate. And uh, that that is something I'd already been aware of, but boy, did I feel the loss when I was trying to pick a place to go where people would actually walk by and talk to me. Um, and and without that, you know, with people just getting on a train, getting far away from the places they or get getting on a train. Who am I kidding? Getting in a car in the U.S. Um, usually and driving far away from the place where they work. There, there's a separation there too. So I I feel very passionate about um, not well informed about, but very passionate about urban design and how you make communities where people will come together. Yeah, you know, from a traveler point of view, it's more fun too. You if you have a well-designed city, you you draw, you get off at one stop and you walk around, and you see a whole bunch of things and people, you don't have to keep visiting LA is is hard work because you have to drive so far to go from one place to the next.
0: Yeah. I remember my first solo backpacking trip to Europe, like the traditional kind of, you know, finished college, went went to Europe, did the your rail train thing, and just being able to take the train. And end up in some city center and be able to walk from the train station to a hotel or a hostel or whatever and and to just do that repeatedly and be able to just hop around this continent and never have the need for a car in those situations it was so you're right it it's so um it makes such a huge difference in the in the travel experience, but it's also just liberating it makes you kind of think of. Well, what kind of, I, I enjoy this in terms of like daily quality of life. I just ended up moving to Boulder, Colorado because they had like bike paths and I could walk places and i lived out there for a while because like, you know, New York's the same way. You can go out and you can get around without having to get in your car. I, I love that. Um,
1: I haven't had a car since, um, yeah, I haven't had a car the whole time I've lived here. So I, yeah, and, wow. and to a lot of them, to, to many Americans who've not spent time in New York, that is unthinkable. Like they can't, that's just, it's like, that's like not being an adult. So I think, you know, adult life is associated with having a car and taking it places.
0: <laughs> adult I'm life's not, overrated. You
1: know, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not dissing that. I mean, I would actually love to have a car, but to park where I live, it's like, I mean, it's like renting an apartment. Yeah. (laughs) Hello car. Here's your apartment. It's so so expensive that (laughs) it's, it's really not worth it. So there's a car rental place. That's where we get, we would actually repeatedly rent cars for long periods of time to do these loops around the country. How long were you
0: guys on the road for with the grammar table? How long? Yeah.
1: Um, I haven't added up the total days, but we did it, um, We were traveling. We first went on the road in the spring of 2019, and then the really intensive, nonstop, like day after day kind of stuff began in the summer. And I mean, it was weeks, weeks, and weeks, and weeks. But we would do like a a five-week circuit across. Like the first one was across the north of the United States. We went out to, we went out as far as Spokane, Washington, and then came back. And then the next circle was. I don't know, like a loop in the center of the country, but further south, and so we just kept hitting the last big loop, which is kind of dramatic in my memory now because of the timing. We were We were driving in the south. I, I, I timed that, so we would be doing that in the winter, so I wouldn't you know end up a, like a fried sausage on the sidewalk. Um, we'd, so we were doing that through December into January 2020, and I was reading, you know reports from Wuhan while we were doing that and being, and then kind of thinking like, this really sounds rather terrible. Oops. Um, and the, one of the last stops was new Orleans where there were just, it was pre Mardi Gras and there were people everywhere. There were tons of people all over the streets. I have these photos of, of so many people. And then we got back here in mid January in New York of 2020 and then we never went out again. So <laughs> we, that was our last trip. And I, I have I have gone out. I have been other places with the grammar table again now. But it was a long, long hiatus and, and kind of amazing because I just discovered this thing. Oh, look, being in society is wonderful. And then boom. Yeah. But at least
0: you got some good quality time out on the road with it, sounds like. Oh, and, my God. Um, I was
1: so happy. I just sat home and wrote it was, it was pretty good because I would have been tempted to write a lot less and talk a lot more. Um, so I tried to make, (laughs) you know, I tried to make lemonade from the lemons.
0: Nice. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the book and get some writing advice in in a minute, but, uh, just to stay on the the road trip side, I wanted to get some destination recommendations for you. Like somebody that's going to be road tripping through the U S where there's some destinations that you visited that surprised you or some places that you might say, Hey, these are You know, this might not be part of the main, you know, sites that people think when they think about visiting the U.S. or you're from the U.S. and you're traveling around, but these are cool little
1: communities to check out. A hundred percent. I love, love, love um, Red Cloud, Nebraska. That was the smallest town I went to. It has about a thousand people in it. And it is the home of, it was, it was where Willa Cather lived. Um, not exclusively where she lived, I guess, but that was a like a, a base for her. And they have the Willa Cather Center. It's this giant. So the the town has this restored brick, you know, building. Main. It's it's not actually Main Street. A Main Street, I think it's called something else. But with the Willa Cather Center, and it looks so like it just looks like you would picture a town in the middle of the country, like a charming town in the middle of the country how you would picture it. And the reason I love that place is because I picked it um, because it had literary, um, it had uh, this literary history, which I love. I love reading and books and beautiful writing. I love it. And the idea that there was also a teeny town by my standards, a thousand people is very small that I could go visit while also having this, this rich literary tradition there. Um, it blew my mind. I actually the two the two of the first people I met when I was there were literary tourists. You know they were there specifically to hang out. They were staying in the Willa Cather home. There's a I, I think there might be more than one place like that that's associated with her. But you can get so here's the thing: you can get a huge amount of attention. They take really good care of their literature tourists, um, and it's the scenery is amazing. And it's not like compared to going to a major city, which I also love. I love major cities, um, a whole, whole lot, but you get such a, such a value for your tourist dollar. And I think that's the kind of thing I would, if I went out again in the same kind of way, that's the kind of thing I'd be looking for. I also love Baker city in Oregon. That's a bigger town It has a population that I think hit Hit the five digits. I don't remember how many, but some tens of thousands or something. Um, and there were tumbleweeds, and there were little—I don't know—I forget what those birds are called with the little headdress, kind like partridgey-looking things. I don't remember what they were, but you know, they were roaming down the middle of the street. And it just there's amazing public art everywhere. There's an old hotel, I and mean, you can really have this very um, old American feeling experience there. I loved it. I had a great time. People are friendly in the small towns. You know, you really, I, I just, I would immediately meet people who are really, who are part of the community, really part of the community. And they took me around, showed me stuff and yeah, it was cool.
0: <laughs> nice. Two great recommendations there. Unexpected. <laughs> Your favorite story from the book. Talk a, a bit about the book. I'm sure it's pretty fresh. It's Rebel with a clause. It's the name of the book, which is funny great title. Favorite story from the book? Do you have one? This is like asking me my favorite child. I know. If the favorite question isn't really, let me reframe it. Perhaps it's a a story that sticks with you.
1: Uh, In Austin, Texas, I was sitting on a a trail in Zilker Park. So it was, you know, like a dirt path. There were trees, like a tree was kind of hanging down to my hair and people were on this path in this park just biking, walking, hanging out with family and um this this young couple stopped by and they were so it was so this makes me feel happy. They were so excited to see a grammar table on a path in their par- in the park. You know, that's that's flattering to have people extremely excited to see me. Sometimes I feel like I show up at just the right moment. And they were so happy because they had just gotten married and they were so in love and just the, the love was spilling out and they wanted to talk about whomever and whoever. And it wasn't really, so we went through, we went through, uh, you know, my own personal whomever shame. I think I once used whomever when I should have used whoever, when I first moved to New York city, but what what I just remember about it is they seemed like it seemed like I had given them a house or something. <laughs> they were that excited about it. And um I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. it. Just it was just so cool to have people be so effusive about something so small um in this in just a random place. I think, you know, I love surprise that kind of surprise. I don't think I love surprise parties, but I love that kind of surprise when you're just walking down the street and something pleasant happens that you didn't expect. So that's, it's basically like a nonstop, uh, you know, it's like an IV of happiness into my arm to have these (laughs) kinds of experiences.
0: I love that. And just thinking about you out there going to these different cities and doing this, it's, it's fulfilling, I'm sure to create an experience like that for for somebody else in their community, right? Like they come upon this, it's unexpected. I think when you're talking about something like grammar in school, you know, it's something that's forced down your throat. You're like, all right, we have to sit in English class and we're going to learn grammar today. That's a much different setting than somebody excitedly seeing a grammar table and running up to you to get a question answered or something because they (laughs) want the knowledge or they want the debate settled. That's different than being sort of it forced down your throat. And that that makes it fun. And also just being somebody to give, uh, not just the gift of grammar, but, uh, I think the gift of just kind of, like you said, this interaction on this topic that uh, somebody walking by happens to be curious about, and you have that connection. I just think it's such a cool project. Um, I don't
1: understand the word Jason. I don't understand the words forced grammar, forced down your throat. does not (laughs) compute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe not for you, (laughs) but yeah, no, just as another quick example, the, you know, in in New York, I met this woman who had learned the preposition song when she was in school. I don't, I didn't learn a preposition song. I'm I'm actually still not 100% sure exactly. I think it might be sung to Yankee the tune of Yankee's usual dandy or something like that. I didn't learn it. But anyway, a lot of people have told me they learned this preposition song. She was a dancer, and not only had she learned the preposition song, she'd also learned, she'd also choreographed a preposition dance with her school friends. I think she was in fifth grade. So they had done this choreographed preposition dance, and she still, she was probably at least in her thirties, she still knew the dance and she did a little demo of a preposition dance. Uh-huh. Like how would you ever have an experience like that? Right. And, you know, that was repeated across all these different towns and cities all over and, you know, in parks across the country. Um, and that I just love laughing. So that yeah. cracked me the hell up.
0: <laughs> For a lover of grammar to, uh, witness, a uh, preposition dance live that's a that's a highlight <laughs>
1: it's a now that is a gift yeah. that is a gift
0: it's so weird when you were saying that i just something skyrocketed deep from my memory of fourth or fifth grade i don't remember where i had to memorize the prepositions and the whole thing just shot back into my brain above after at before below by during four from and in 12 off on over through two under with without did
1: you know that was in there
0: no, I just remembered it just now, just talking to you. I, I was like, I haven't thought of that since, uh, I don't know, probably since I memorized it in grade school or whatever. It's weird. This is <laughs>
1: now, see, that is so charming to me. And also, I never learned that. I, I just know, I know them just by the, the concept and I can identify them. Um, but I never learned the song. And I feel like that's something I would have really enjoyed. Off on, over, through, to, under, with, without. Uh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't the oh song. Oh my just... gosh. You know yeah, the I... O's too? A lot of people can only do the beginning and then they forget it. You are a master of prepositions.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't even know if I said that. I'll have to revisit that when I, when I listen to this again and make sure I got it right. But anyway, that was interesting. Uh, was interesting. You're pulling stuff out of my brain, Alan. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee Sign up over there at zerodetravelcom to slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. A couple things. I, I want to talk about the book because, well, I guess I wanted to get some writing advice. So you've been running uh, full-time this, this company, Syntaxis. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah,
1: Syntaxis. My husband and I started it together in uh, more than 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. So you design and run workshops in business writing, email etiquette, grammar, editing, proofreading, major clients, corporate clients. Um, Email is something that we all need to do. Can you give us your best email etiquette advice?
1: I think the most important thing is making sure, and this is going to sound a little touchy-feely, but making sure when you're looking at that screen that you're kind of centered in yourself and you understand what your own voice is so that you're not doing kind of jargony BS baloney to sound like what you think is an official voice. I just uh. find some people get really trapped in this inauthentic voice and they do all kinds of weird things. And so then they're, you know, they're using expressions they would never use. They're like corporate speak. Like let's put a yeah, pin like- in this. and <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And, and they're all different versions of that, but that's, that's the thing that I notice the most, that there's a gap between the human being I meet and the human being that is represented in the person's writing. So I often, I, I think that because people think, oh, writing and speech are totally different. You know, I have to have this professional business style and it has to be different from how I speak. I think it's a little bit of a misconception. My, my writing voice and my speaking voice are not wildly different. They are, I, I'm more organized, a lot fewer as in my writing than in my speech um I'm more polished I don't have you know my syntax doesn't explode halfway through a sentence but but it's still fundamentally the same voice so so accepting that there's variety in writing as there is variety in speech and figuring out how to do the best version of your writing voice so that you can represent yourself in your in your physical absence I think is the key for me mm. Love that. What about uh,
0: getting a book deal and writing a book? Some of your advice there.
1: Um, the it's a you know this is kind of a funny question because I moved I, when I moved to New York in 1990. I moved here to write, and I started working on a novel right away. And I never published that novel. I didn't publish the one that I was working on after that novel. So I have these large unfinished manuscripts sitting in the file cabinet right next to where I'm talking to you. I know where they are at the bottom of the drawer <laughs> sitting there collecting dust. Um, I think the, uh, the idea, I mean, the reason this, this one was successful for me is because the idea came, I guess, organically to, I kind of hate that word, but it just happened and I would do, I wasn't thinking of, it's funny. I was, I had been pitching a book, idea, book ideas beforehand that had been swatted down. And when I thought of doing this, I didn't actually think about it as a book. I didn't, I was just sitting out there having this experience. Um, and people started saying this should be a book. And I thought, Oh, I don't know why I didn't think of it. So, so my advice is that I'm a terrible advisor because when I was consciously trying to think of book ideas, they were getting rejected. And then when I stopped thinking of it it happened, but that's not, that's not a system. I think the system is so different for everyone. You know what I think is helpful for people who want to write a book, um, is to, is to remember that there aren't age milestones. I'm 56 and I moved here when I was 24. Um, and I remember one of the most important things to me as a writer early on, when I started to feel like time was slipping by and I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do um, writing wise, um, I started. I, I read this article. I don't know where it was in a newspaper uh, about all these writers who had published their first work when they were fifty, and um, it made it. it just was. Or, or who were old, I, old whatever to me at the time seemed quite old I think the cutoff for the article was 50 and that made a huge impression on me and so have other pieces I've read since then on various artists who began their careers late um, that you don't there's not a timeline for this and there isn't a oh if you haven't done it by x date you you have failed at it um, to me that's really meaningful because you can have creativity or new inspirations all throughout your life and we, you know, think see things in new ways. I think writing um require it requires maturity and, and um maybe this idea, which is my interests were the same when I moved to the city thirty-two years ago there, as they are now to a significant degree. Um, I think I I had to grow up a little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still working on that, but you know. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all?
0: Thanks for sharing that. I think That is a a great message to keep in mind at any age, because as we age, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're younger, well, you might think you might feel the pressure to kind of get something done before a certain time. And if you're older, you might get down on yourself thinking, you know, you're past your prime or whatever, but it's just a... yeah, it's just nice to hear that, and a nice reminder. I think for all of us, no matter where we're at.
1: I believe in the tortoise and the hare story. I always have, but sometimes it's harder to feel it in your heart. You know, you just keep plugging along, and doing things that are like all that language, the the studying of languages that I did over years and years. I don't know. It just fe- it's affected how I think about language now. So the little things that seem like they may not have a larger, you know, benefit in some ways earlier on. Um, can later. I, I picked up, you know, I had a job picking up garbage and uh, off the grounds of um, a business school when I was 20. And it was a little bit embarrassing sometimes. Like people would kind of judge me for that, but it paid better than the office jobs at the time. I actually think that job per- helped prepare me for sitting on the streets because it's often pretty filthy. <laughs> so you have to be, you can't be like little things like that. You can't be squeamish about about stuff or feel like, oh, it's beneath my dignity. I think that would have been a barrier for a lot of people that they would picture sitting on the street as being beneath their dignity. I guess I don't have dignity. So (laughs) so that don't have that's my message. Don't have dignity. There you go.
0: (laughs) No, I well, that's funny. That's a good joke. But I I think everybody understands your message is not don't have dignity, but I love to hear stories from people who have done something like you have. And then upon reflection, you start looking back at some of your past life experiences and realizing how they have unexpectedly played into the things you're doing right Absolutely. now. Like who would think the garbage job that you were, when you were 20 years old, I'm sure when you were doing it, you had not a clue that this was going to be something that you might reference in your work, you know, 30 years later or whatever. Just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you touched on studying languages for fun. If I have this correct, you've studied 25 languages for fun and you're fluent in how many?
1: Oh, I don't want to answer that question now. I actually sitting at home for, so here's the thing just because I want people to be realistic about their language goals. Um, You can't maintain languages that you aren't using. I mean, unless maybe you have an aberrant mind that somehow permits that, but that's, that's just not normally going to happen. So um, I'm sitting talking to you right now in front of shelves and shelves full of grammar books. Many of them I've gone through what's in my head right now. I don't even know right now. I'm refreshing about four or five languages in the hope that I'll be able as I go out more with the table again in the coming months, be able to use them with people who come up to the table. Um, the, the maximum that I was fluent in at one time was probably six. Um, but the sixth, was constantly teetering on the edge of <laughs> the edge of extinction because I virtually never got to use it. Um, and i but I remember pieces of a lot of them, and I also remember things about structures, which and in, that inform those inform how I think about English um and about writing systems. And I have fun with that at the table, you know, like sometimes I'll surprise someone by being able to write something in Arabic or whatever. Yeah. They don't expect that. And I get a right. kick out of that.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned something about how language can influence thought, or I can't remember the exact words you, you used. And I was doing some research uh, for this chat with you and came across this concept of linguistic relativity, this sapir wharf hypothesis. I don't know if you've heard of this, this uh, idea that suggests that the structure of a language, I'm reading from Wikipedia now, that the structure of a language affects its speaker's worldview or cognition, and thus people's perceptions are relative to their spoken language. I'm just wondering, having studied so many languages and been immersed in them, what you think about that concept?
1: There there are a lot of myths going around about that kind of idea. I don't think fundamentally I see I in in some of the language groups online, I see people saying things like my personality is different when I'm speaking Russian than it is in English. And then when I do Japanese, I do X, Y, Z and
0: identity shifts.
1: Yeah. And so that's not quite what you're talking about, but also, you know, like, is there a word for something in this language that doesn't exist in others? But I think overall, my sense is that, um, uh, that idea is, eh, is I, I know I know people spend a lot of time on it. I'm, I don't really spend much time thinking about, it, but that often when people think that that when they're talking about how this word exists in this language, it doesn't exist in another. There's just another way to frame it in a different language. It's not that the the thought doesn't happen; it's still captured there. It's a very tricky kind of analysis to make, and and I'm not equipped really to comment on it, except, except to say that I'm the same weird person in every language i've studied
0: <laughs> love that there's no question that being able to speak even a little bit of a language has at least for me personally been able to connect me with a culture in a different way and its people on the ground as a traveler i guess uh, i was doing some research and i saw a great quote from charlemagne who said to have another language is to possess a second soul which i thought was quite a beautiful way to to put it. I'm just wondering how has speaking other languages and studying languages uh, impacted your life?
1: It is, I think, a way of turning out from, turn, looking out from the world you live in and recog- there's something very fundamental about being able to appreciate that a set of sounds that is unfamiliar to you means something to a whole other group of people. And that is, I think, one of the costs of insula- insularity. you know, in the United States, um, we're not the only country like this, but there are some countries that have a lot of monolinguals, even though we have our United States melting pot or whatever, we and we have a ton of languages, there are many people who speak only one language. And I think sometimes it's hard for people who really haven't had training in another language to appreciate fully that the people visiting their town who are emitting these sounds that are unfamiliar, that may sound even quite strange if it's a language with a really different sound inventory, um, that, that it's exactly the same. Like they are living their lives along and that these, these sounds are working for them in the same way. It's like, it sort of creates a sense of, I'm really simplifying here. I didn't, I don't mean to offend anyone because of course many people don't think this way, but I do, I've seen enough of this in the United States that I think that there's there's a sense of otherness that that people who haven't had the experience of at least trying, you know, beyond like a year of language class or maybe no, no language class, they can't quite envision what it means to cross over into the other side. And I think um, for me, like especially learning other writing systems beyond just the sounds, learning other writing systems and being able to read signs and um Arabic or in, in Russian it's it's life altering it makes the news in your newspaper seem uh, for me anyway it makes it seem more accessible this that you know, even if i'm understanding one out of every 10 words it makes me feel closer to the people who are using that language so it's a very profound sense of connection even when i don't have full access to meaning um, and maybe i don't know maybe i'm describing more my own personal um limitations of imagination i mean maybe people people can imagine those things fully without it but i i think it, it when you actually participate in it um, it's stirring in a in a in a in a bigger way i don't know i feel like that was very rambly no it was
0: great thanks thanks for that and um uh, just want to say thank you for your time today i struggle with grammar sometimes and you sound awesome. Quite awesome. Uh, quite, quite often. See, I just said awesome. <laughs> quite awesome at grammar. No, I actually have this. Uh, I think you, you might have told me about it years ago. I don't remember this. Uh, this extension, Grammarly, on, uh, on.
1: I definitely you know, didn't. My, I, <laughs> I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have. I lean
0: on this thing because grammar isn't my strong suit. Let us put it that way. So when you said uh, you had this book and and we got in touch and we talked about coming on the podcast. Rabble with a clause, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. And I thought, okay, I know Ellen. She's awesome. Uh, here's somebody who took like something I love, travel, and something that I'm a little eh, not sure about, but I'd like to get better at grammar, combined them, and actually made it fun. So I'm like, I'm sold. So thank you so much for helping <laughs> me improve my grammar. I've been enjoying reading through the book. I'm still working my way through it as we close out here, just let everybody know where they can find you, where they can pick up the book and all that good stuff.
1: Okay. Um, thank you for, thank you for that description, by the way. Um, book, the book is, uh, available in stores and online where, you know, where books are sold in the U S and Canada already. It's also uh, being published separately in the UK. So you can get it. Uh, in a lot of countries, I don't know exactly the full list. This is actually something I need to find out but um, but you know there are book sites that ship worldwide, and I know that there are that, that the book is on there so the other thing, um, I do a ton of I'm still online, even though I have the table. So I do a ton of language polls and quizzes and questions on my Grammar Table Twitter account. It's just Grammar Table. You will be more likely to find it if you spell grammar correctly. That is G R A M M A R. And I, I'm kind of joking about that. Is such a commonly misspelled word? You know, I get all the time. Um, so anyway, we have a lot of fun over there. Just mostly things, it's not like this is right and this is wrong. Usually it's more like questions about how people use words. And it's interesting to find out through the responses, the the variety in that, the variety in how people use English and other languages.
0: And uh I know if you go to Grammar Table, spell it right, grammartable.com, then you have <laughs> links to various places where you can buy the book and and the socials yes. and things like that. So we'll Absolutely. link up to that in the show notes as well. And Ellen, I'm just so glad we got to kind of reconnect and do this. Congratulations on like the whole project. What really excites me is just to see how much joy and it's brought you in your life and you've incorporated something you love, travel and and all that together. It's it's been um nice just hearing about the experience from you and just really appreciate your time coming on and sharing today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Here you have it. I want to thank our guest, Ellen Joven, once again for stopping by and sharing her experience creating this grammar table. I love that she just decided to go out and do this one day. That is so empowering, I think. We could just walk out of our house and do something like this, and who knows what it'll turn into. Sometimes those instincts tell us to do something, and then our minds get in the way, and they're like, no, don't do that thing, because what if people think this and that and the other? You know? We can't always listen to our minds. It's like, nice. Thank you very very much, mind. Thank you for trying to protect me and doing your thing. But can you get out of the way so I can go outside and set this table on the street and talk to people about grammar or whatever our version of that is? So I just thought that was a great reminder to kind of just keep gravitating towards the things that that we love and explore them. And we never know where they're going to lead. I'm in a very exploratory phase in my life right now. So I'm embracing that concept myself and... Frankly, uh, enjoying it most days. Some days it's like, what am I doing? I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. But hey, that's life sometimes, right? I started working through The Artist's Way, a couple personal updates. This is a book that my buddy Ethan told me about that I'd heard of. Uh, There's a popular concept in there called Morning Pages. So I'm on my second day of Morning Pages where you write out three pages full of uh, just whatever comes to your mind, stream of consciousness, every morning. So I'm only on my second day. <laughs> Let's see if I can build this habit. But it's getting kind of like refreshing to just sort of brain dump in the morning, get sort of things out of there, almost squeeze the sponge and empty it out and be like, okay, now I can uh, move into the rest of my day. So if anybody listening has done the artist's way and has any feedback or advice or anything, you can... Uh, send me a message, Jason at travelcom or just drop a voicemail and let me know. There's a prompt for you. You can always just check in and say hi as well. Would love to hear from you. I want to do a little segment here I'm calling Encouraging Travel News. Here we go. This one came across my inbox. I'm on some of these PR lists. I have no idea how I get on these lists, probably because I give my email out in hundreds of shows and people just add me to these lists. Anyway, there is a company called Havila Voyages in Norway, and they do some cruises into the fjords. And it looks like, according to this little email... Uh, I'll I'll read it. It said, quote, In less than four years, it will be a government requirement that all ships sailing into any Norwegian World Heritage Fjord must do so entirely free of emissions. So, Havila owns some battery-powered ships, and they are already fulfilling this requirement four years ahead of time. So, two of their ships have sailed emission-free through the World Heritage Fjord uh, this summer. And they're underway to using the batteries more than what is required because they think it's important to take care of nature, as we all do. So I had to give a shout out to Havila Voyages. No idea again how I ended up on <laughs> their email list. This isn't a sponsored anything. This was just like a PR release thing. Apparently they the world's most eco-friendly shipping company for passenger cruise ships. And now they are... Uh, building these emission-free ships, I guess, or they have some built. So anyway, I think that's pretty cool. And I just like to see these changes taking place into the fjord with zero emissions. That is a bit of encouraging travel news, I'd say. And in this segment, uh, if you like it, I'll keep it going. And anytime I come across these little tidbits where I think, hey, this is travel moving in the right direction, right? The future of travel, Cutting down on emissions. You know, we're still getting people out there to explore, but uh, trying to do it in in the right way. There you have it. Uh, if you want to hear more of those, let me know, and I will continue to keep my eyes open for some encouraging travel news. Speaking of the fjords, I did take a trip out to Western Norway this past weekend. Lisa Fjorden and did a hike, an iconic hike. You may have seen pictures of this on Instagram or somewhere before. It's called Sharag Bolton. And there is a rock that's just looks like it was stuffed between two sheer cliffs over this gorgeous fjord. And... You can actually get out and stand on the rock. It's not very big, I can tell you, because I was there this weekend. Hiked all the way up with my buddy Mark, good college buddy of mine, and just so great to see him and Reconnect. And we did a couple hikes over the weekend, and this was the big one. We did it on Saturday, had pretty good weather. This is one of those hikes where... I don't know if the rock gets wet, it's pretty slippery. So they have some chains you can hang on to to kind of help you climb up and down in certain sections. And it's about 10K round trip. But at the top, you get to this Shadog Bolton, this place where the rock is stuffed between these cliffs. And I believe it's an 1,100 meter drop, <laughs> if uh, what I looked up is correct. It's insane. And I never had this happen to me before because... I feel like usually in some of these types of situations, I'm able to understand, okay, surprisingly no one's died here before stepping on this and getting a picture. <laughs> I was kind of surprised given the drops there and you have to kind of turn your body around to the side and grab on the, this little sort of ring like that's drilled into the rock just to sort of get in position to get on the Sharrock Bolton rock itself. And then you're standing there and it's just... You know, it's a rock. It's not <laughs> that big. I, I thought it was going to be bigger. Also, it's a bit rounded. It's not really flat. So you can step out on there and stand there and, and take the iconic picture. But I couldn't do it, man. My body froze up. Like, I, I my body started shaking. My limbs, it was not allowing my limbs to even think about going out there. I just my confidence level just dropped to nothing. I and you got to step on that rock with confidence, right? So I did go out there. It's a funny picture. I should post it up with the show notes. <laughs> I'm next to the rock and I got my foot on the rock and I'm sitting there. So I made it out that far, but I couldn't quite take the extra step or two I needed to take to stand on it. It was terrifying with the with the sheer drop and I don't know. Maybe it's because I you know, I feel like, oh, I have my kids. This would be like the dumbest way to die ever. You know, just getting on a rock for a picture that's totally not worth it. But I was beating myself up a little bit on the way down because my buddy Mark did it and I was giving him props and he was super kind. Uh, he's like, dude, it's no problem. You didn't get on the rock. I was like, yeah, but I couldn't conquer my mind. <laughs> and I guess I couldn't, but my body wouldn't let me do it. It shut down, it wouldn't let me step out there. And that, that I'd never experienced before. I've been in some dodgy nature situations where i've been able to kind of take the steps and push forward despite the fact that if i, you know, slip and fall, it could be a long ride on one way or the other but i guess i'm no spring chicken anymore and times have changed and it is what it is. So anyway, Sharrock Bolton, if you're listening, i may be back for you one day. I'm thinking i may be back one day to step on that rock. I don't know. It's i don't want it to haunt me. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go, but I got to say, it's still bothering me just a little bit. Do you ever have anything like that where you're just like, oh, that's just it's bugging me. I'll get over it. I I am over it, I'll say. But it was a lovely trip, and if you can ever make it out to Western Norway, highly encourage you to check it out. Such grand, epic nature. It's not even the word. I mean, epic is maybe the closest word I can come to describing it, but... So much more than that. Just beautiful. Alright, let me leave you with a quote from Mahatma Gandhi who said, quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. <gasps> Love that. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroTotravel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.